want to welcome you in, and it is always good to be here in the Idea Collision. Um, and I know that sounds funny, um, but uh, typically we don't like to be in collisions. Uh, I know I've been in a few too many in, in, in my in my life, and uh, not typically a good thing. But uh, we're talking about a different type of collision here, uh, putting ideas together. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. We kind of know that idiom. We are familiar with it, even if you're not familiar with the Bible that well. Uh, but but we get the idea that, that putting ideas together, uh, cultural ideas, philosophical ideas, uh, that that tends to in any in any area of life that tends to weed out the inferior and 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 come up come away with something that is you know more accurate or uh, more practical and spiritually that's true what we want to do is we want to take these different ideas sometimes some that are uh, that that look paradoxical and and come away with something that is you know whether we are discarding this one say that that's completely off or uh, this one's great and I want I want this one over here or or whether we're putting them together and saying you know these combine in a way that makes me look at things from a different perspective and 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 I'm maybe augmenting this view that I've had however we that works how do these things pair together and and produce a a a better idea. Uh, <clears throat> last week we left off kind of talking about um, failure, and we, we approached it from the idea of independence and liberty. We were talking about, um, just to kind of catch up if, if you didn't see it, the idea that um, really the younger generations um, specifically have have decreasingly been independent. They, they a lot of times are not striking out on their own till late in their 20s and 30s. And the reason that we said this is, is because they've been encouraged to be, um, to be independent, but they've not been really given any tools to do so. They're unprepared for adulthood. So when they get to that time to do that, what happens, they're, they're very encouraged to do that, but they are, they're afraid of it. And they're afraid for a very good reason. They are likely going to fail. They've been given no no training, nothing nothing, no reasonable expectation of success. So, um, so so this is where we want to get to failure, and I want to kind of branch about branch out into the the ways we look at failure and the ways that we approach failure. So. Uh, so there's this this paradoxical thing that we're going to look at, and these are the two different ways that we look at failure. Um, so, and, and before we get into this, I, I want to, you know, I I tend to approach things from a child raising uh, point of view. Uh, I see a lot of things through that lens. I have a lot of experiences in that that, you know, in that category. Uh, but this works. You you can look at these in, you know. Uh, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an employer, whether you're a mentor of some sort, a counselor, however, whatever you know, sector of life that you have that um, uh, that you are involved with other people, and especially if you are kind of involved in a an overseeing type of a a role, you'll understand. We want to put people in a uh, a position to succeed, obviously. Uh, so, so it doesn't have to be. There's there's a lot of application outside of child raising, uh, but um, 
the two views that we're going to look at seem opposite. And uh, so we'll, we'll get into it. And I want to understand true confidence. You know, so we're looking at these, these generations that don't have confidence. True confidence does not come from a rah-rah uh, type of a encouragement. True confidence comes from having familiarity with techniques and structure that make something happen uh, positively or successfully. Right? Everyone fails. That's another thing. Everyone fails. Uh, so that's that's just an observation of, of humanity. We all fail. Uh, no one can be perfectly equipped for anything. We, we say you get out there and there's no such thing as a textbook situation. Uh, you learn and someone teaches you the best, but they can't teach you every combination of things that could possibly happen that you're going to encounter. And you're going to encounter something you weren't prepared for, and you're going to say, you know, I've got a 50-50 chance of, of which which word we're going to try, and you're going to try this one, and this was the best thing to do. That's just, you know, that's life. So So failure happens. So then... Where do I take this? Well, I want to look at two ways we look at this. First of all, the first way I look at this is naturally. Failure is a bad thing, right? Failure is bad. I don't want to fail. We encounter things we want to avoid. That's our approach, right? I encounter it. I want to avoid it. All right. So uh, failure is humiliating. So um, that's the first thing. Whether it's act done in front of other people uh, or whether it's something that people find out about, failure says something about me. Uh, and, and here's why it's you know humiliating. Whether I'm comparing myself to other people or not, failure says that I have a lack of something. I have, I'm not talented enough. I'm on a sports team. We tried. We we didn't accomplish it. Um, we weren't talented enough. Right? Or or it could say we're not smart enough. I tried this thing. I I was I was, and I just didn't know what I was doing. And and so it, it didn't work. The project didn't work. Whatever it was, it, it didn't work. So that would be the second thing. Uh, and, and there's probably an endless amount of these that this says, but. Things about me, or I wasn't strong enough, and I don't mean just mean muscularly strong enough, but but maybe some type of an internal emotional strength. I didn't have the endurance for it. I didn't have some type of internal thing that I needed to be able to accomplish this. I, I heard a story about a Navy SEAL. Now this is physical strength, but but it illustrates the point. Uh, he went through. Um, I think it was Navy SEAL guy. Um, this just is a story that. One person told another person, and I heard it secondhand. But uh, so this guy was—he was went through the training, and and at the end of the training, there's this like an obstacle course. So he goes through this whole obstacle course that they have to be able to do to pass the fitness test. And um, it's you—you you do this, you're in. And at the end of the fitness test, <clears throat> whatever the, the obstacle course, whatever it is, there is a chin-up bar, and you—they—they they made them do one chin-up. Just you have to do one chin up. That's the end of the whole course. And he's he gets on the thing and he's pulling up, pulling up, pulling up. And he got like the bar to like right here, and his arms just could not. His, his like elbows are shaking and everything is. He could not do the chin up. He's like, I literally came one inch from. He's like, I have failed. I'm got to be the only guy in history who failed 
getting into the Navy SEALs by one inch, you know. And that's humiliating. I wasn't strong enough. I was almost strong enough. I just wasn't quite enough strong enough. Right? So, so that's application one. Failure is bad. Application two is that failure is good. Well, that seems opposite to me. Um, and say, well, I have a plan. I have a hypothesis, right? That's the idea. Like, this gets to the smarts idea. And I test it in life, whatever it is, and it doesn't work. I was going to try to get this kind of a job and do this. I was going to try to go to college, and I failed. or Whatever it is, I had the plan, and it didn't work. So now I have an experience to draw on. I want you to think about some of the language that we use. I already have referenced it without even trying. I have an experience. What, what do we call these a lot of times? We call them learning experiences. Right? That's a learning experience. That's well, good to learn from something. Well, <clears throat> when we accumulate these learning experiences, what do we say about a person? We call them experienced. Now, not all experienced people have only uh, experienced people haven't only failed, but but they have accumulated a lot of failures in life that they can now draw upon and say that didn't work. Now I'm going to do this, and then boom, you get a success. Right, so it's good. Uh, if this is where the paradox comes in, right? If something is good, it's to be pursued. If something is bad, it's to be avoided. So if failure is both good, we, we've seen some applications where it's good, and it's also bad, we've seen some applications where it's bad, how do I approach it? How do I approach something that is to be avoided and to be pursued, because I can't do both at the same time. Right, it's a paradox. Well, my first instinct is to avoid it. I try to avoid those things. You know, think. We call this thinking ahead. I'm, I'm going to think ahead, use common sense, and I'm going to say, this is not a good, like, this is probably not going to work. And so I want to avoid that. Right? That's smart. There's a... And in a lot of cases, it is smart, but it's not always smart. There's a there's a story of an investor in the Bible. He's one of three investors, and <clears throat> the other two investors go out. They're very successful. This investor was afraid of failure, and so what he essentially did was nothing. He put in in our modern day, you know viewpoint it would be putting it into a savings account because savings accounts don't earn any interest no, but there was a time when i was a kid that i remember them getting like two and a half or three percent or whatever they don't really accumulate much interest anymore so imagine you say well i didn't lose his idea was i didn't lose it i still have the base principal sum of money and so i i'm winning because i'm not losing and in the Bible story, it's like, no, actually, you lose it. <laughs> so the invest, he didn't do his job. His job was to be an investor and to come away with a net increase. So because he didn't do that, he didn't do his job. He had failed in his job, in, in his expectation. But there's this idea that I'm going to avoid failure, and that will be defined as success. So um, th these are our two approaches. Now, as a mentor, I can do a disservice to people any type of mentor, be it parent or employer, whatever, by not allowing them the opportunity to fail. I say, well, I'm going to I'm gonna think ahead for them and say, you know what, I think they're going to fail, 
I'm I'm not going to put them in a position to fail, so I'm not going to let them try. Right? It's hard. <laughs> it's hard not to jump in, especially when you can know, know you that you can do it better. Uh, you can do it quicker. You can do it more efficiently. Whatever the thing is, you know, think about it when you're you're a parent, right? You see your kid struggling with something, and he doesn't even know which way to turn the screwdriver. And you're like, "What are you doing?" You're like, you know, righty tighty lefty. How do you not know that, right? I'm experienced, and so I, I know that. Why? Be- because I have turned screwdrivers before. There was a time where I did not know righty tighty left. I forget that, and so I want to jump in. The first instinct is to grab the screwdriver from my son. Here, let me do that. That's my instinct. To take away an opportunity for him to figure it out. You know what? It takes three seconds for him to figure out it's going backwards. Oh, I've got to go the other way. Really. And 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 now he will know that for the rest of his life. But if I keep jumping in every time the screwdriver goes wrong, he's never going to learn that. He's got to learn that. Oh, okay. And that's silly. That's like a like four, five, six-year-old person learning that skill. But it gets older and older and older, and we keep doing that. We keep we keep jumping in every time they want to do something. Now, I understand it's important to jump in when a person is actually a physical danger to themselves. Like, well, I'm going to let them learn that sticking the knife into the uh, into the electric socket is that's not what you want to do. Come on, fail, and we'll, we'll learn the lesson. No, we we we, we want to keep them from self-harm but but we do want allow them to fail uh otherwise i do a disservice to them that's part of it it's not all of mentoring but that is a significant part of mentoring and then to be there to correct when okay now let's put the pieces back together that's another part of mentoring right and what this does this does a number of things right and this is approach number one still helps them develop problem-solving skills. That didn't work. What do I do? Right? Now, I might nudge them. I might tell them, you know, hey, try this. But but it, they develop problem-solving skills. That's the first thing it does. Second thing, it, it teaches them, in most cases, that failure is not the end of the world. You can fail and you can move on. You can survive a failure, even a pretty bad one. You can survive in most cases. And so it will lead them to try new things. I, I remember an occasion, and then this is as a, in a religious sphere, where I, uh, I, I, re- I took a verse. I was teaching a class. I was 19 years old, and I was teaching an adult class, and I took a verse out of context. I just, you know, I just looked through a concordance, and I was teaching a thing, and I picked a verse that kind of just in the concordance. It, it looked like it was on this topic. It was on a completely different topic. And when I tell you it was embarrassing, I can't even tell you what it was. That's how embarrassing it was. I, it's so embarrassing <clears throat> that I remember the feeling of that 30 years later. And um, I got corrected right there on the spot, you know, because it was pretty egregious. You know what I do? I'm telling you, I, I when I'm when I'm doing this now as a preacher, I'm looking at verses before, I'm looking at verses after, I'm looking at comparative verses. It was a very formative thing to me. I failed, but I learned to succeed, and, and so, you know, that has developed a new talent, has developed a new skill that that takes me in, and I'm like, okay, now I can do this because I have that talent, that skill. I can I can teach, I can preach, I can do other things. Uh, so so it, it leads to successes, and that's the, the idea. Now, I want to look at the other approach that we often take, and this is an overcorrection, an overreaction to failure. 
uh, or and this is the idea from from the perspective that failure is good. We talked about it being good, uh, and then we just detailed how it can be good. But there is a, a, a thing that people do sometimes that we treat failure as the good thing in and of itself. That the failure itself is good, and and we start celebrating failure. You say, why? How would we celebrate failure? Well, let me show you a few ways. Um, first of all, just because something has a good outcome, it does not mean that the thing itself is good. It means that it had some good results, but that we should not necessarily. Pers- it would be great if we could get the results a different way. We don't want to celebrate the the thing that didn't go right. We want to celebrate the the doing of the right thing at the end. Um, Failure is not to be pursued. Right? Success is to be pursued. We should know that intrinsically. Uh, but I, I've noticed this, and these are some things I've noticed that happened simultaneously, whether they're causative or correlative, I don't know. That's for somebody else to decide. But I, I personally think they're causative um, or have a causative rea- uh, relation. I've noticed, first of all, mentors have done poorer and poorer jobs in society on multiple levels. I've noticed that teachers have equipped students at a lower level. This is just, this is true. I go into Milwaukee and like, they are like people graduate from school with proficiency in in just Milwaukee. It's the biggest city near me in nothing. They can't read. They they can't do math. Like, like it's, it's like uh, almost zero, like graduating, like high school, like public school graduating, the teachers are not doing their job. Now, maybe that's not the teacher's fault. I don't know. But it seems like if you're not doing anything, at some point we have to look at the teachers. But it's not only the teachers. Parents are not equipping their kids. We've talked about that. I think a lot of this starts in the home. They're they're not equipping. They're not going through homework. They're not doing whatever. But but whether it's whether it's educationally or whether it's morally, whatever it is, parents are not mentors across the broad spectrum are not doing as good a job for whatever reason. And so we have kids that are, as we talked about, afraid of going out and trying because they're, they're certain they're going to, they're doomed to failure. And they are, as this has happened. Another thing that I've noticed is that failure has become more celebrated in life. You say, how is failure celebrated in life? I'm going to show you a couple of illustrations. Let me uh, let me look at a superhero. The first superhero. The first superhero was Superman, uh, so far as I understand it. And uh, and I always hated the Superman storyline because uh, one thing I could not understand. So Superman is uh, he's he's got this weakness. Uh, to kryptonite, which, if I understand correctly, is is pieces of his planet. And I never understood that because I always thought, you know, it's probably a good thing that his planet exploded because if he hadn't in an alternate universe, he would have been walking around on his planet and he basically has an allergic reaction to his own planet. And um, it would have been awful big. It wouldn't have been just a little piece. I mean, it would his own planet would have killed him just walking around because you can't get away from your planet if you're walking on it. That seems like a really bad storyline. So 
uh, I never understood that. And then I heard the story of how kryptonite came to be, you know, the problem. And it came to be the problem because originally they designed Superman with no flaws, not even kryptonite. That wasn't in the original, if I understand it correctly again. So, uh, so they had to add something in because after two or three comic books, they realized that that's, this was going to be boring. People weren't going to, after two or three, you knew how the story ended, right? As a guy with no flaws, he's indestructible. And, and uh, now he's on a, a world of you, mortal people, essentially, that uh, he can't lose to. Well, that's boring. You know how it's going to end. So, so they built in another thing. This is what they came up with. It seems like they could have come up with something else. But uh, so they built that into to make it, you know, and now now he's got one weakness. And so everybody was is the race to try to get kryptonite to defeat Superman. Which also seems boring to me. Anyway, well, uh, the, the point I want to draw from this is that when we first designed a superhero, or when, when we wanted a superhero, we wanted a man or woman, whatever, with no flaws. Isn't that interesting? Now, it got boring, but that was the first idea, flawless. That, that The ideal. And as time has gone on, the people that we hold up as heroes have become more and more and more flawed as we have become, and as, you know, we, we start celebrating the, the less prepared for success we individually are, the more we idealize people who fail. I want you to think, and it, as I say, I, I reference politics on occasion. It's not political points, but these are just observations that illustrate a point. You can do this from either side. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your political view is. I want you to look at a person today from and, and compare them in the political spectrum from whatever side you want to a person 70 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever. Uh, and understanding that, that we know that all humans are flawed and even they were flawed. But what we knew about them, what we knew about them, that media being what it was, we didn't always know. We didn't know what JFK was really into. It had we known, he would not have been the nominee. But you look at the nominee now. Pick one. You're a Democrat. Okay. That's fine. Uh, William Clinton. Right? Or uh, Joseph Biden. Go back and compare them to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Jimmy Carter. Uh, look at them morally speaking and, and, and look at how things have declined today now that we are in a, in a, a realm where everything is flawed and where we celebrate failure. You're a Republican. Oh, good for you. Uh, compared Donald Trump, morally speaking, to a person like Ronald Reagan, or Dwight Eisenhower. Right? Look, I'm not saying those men were perfect. I, I'm saying there's a, a, a decline now a, a, as we're celebrating moral failure. We no longer want heroes that are flawless. We want heroes that are like us. We want we, we hold up I mean the people that we hold up in the highest positions in society are 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 from Hollywood and that they're completely flawed. So 
and this this has religious applications as well. And think of some of the religious language. You can you can turn on a religious station, uh, listen to the religious music, if you want to do that, and you will hear phrases like "We are sinners," "I'm just a sinner," and "We all sin," and it is this emphasis on the failure aspect of our faith. Now, yes, those are true statements. Uh, I do sin. I, I, I make mistakes. I fail. But it is almost a celebration of failure. Now, that's not the ideal. Those statements, we are sinners, or I am a sin, like, like it's, it's now accentuating the present continuous nature of of and accepting the identity. Think of it. I'm accepting the identity as a sinner. Not I've sinned. Okay. It, it's now going to my identity. It's it's just accepted that this is my identity. Instead of reaching for the ultimate thing that I want, I, I I'm celebrating the weakness, the 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 inability. It, it's 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 all throughout our society. Uh, there's a reference in the Bible to people who have this character, this this nature to celebrate failure. And Paul says, "Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Right? Should should we should we continue to pursue the failure so that we can say, hey, something good came from it? Right? Grace came from it, so we should continue to do these awful things." Well, that is obvious. It's ob- it's a rhetorical statement because it's so obviously not true. Right? Paul states that as a as a rhetorical statement, but there are people who think that. Yeah, I think we should. That that sounds like a good, good a good pursuit, a good plan. Right? We want to emphasize the pursuit of success, whether it be morally, whether it be talents, whether whatever it is, with your kids, with your students, with your employees, however you are a mentor, however, in your own life. We want to celebrate success. We we acknowledge this is a thing of the ideal versus the practical. I want to acknowledge the practical application of things that I am going to not succeed from time to time. But on the other hand, we look at the ideal. I want to pursue the ideal of things, and that is success. I use my failures to establish a success. Uh, and, and so what I want you to do this week, whether it's for you or for those around you, the first thing is to develop an awareness of failure language. Right? The, the language that allows people to continue to fail and feel good about it. Right? That, that's, not, that, that's not helpful to them. It's not helpful to me. Whoever it is. Uh, and, and that's the... That's, that's, recognizing that's the first step the second step is not accepting it not accepting it as a goal not accepting it as a reality or as an identity right simply understanding one thing recognizing that from failure can come success that's the goal to go out there to to say okay i failed how now do i continue and and, and produce something because when I do that, I'm going to learn other things. I'm going to be more productive. I'm going to develop a, a, a history of experience that I can you know, help other people 
I can do what I, I can accomplish a lot of things and then I can be an experienced person and then I can pass that on to other people and then I can train them and let them fail and it, it it's in my in your children let your children do something safe but let them fail give them room to fail encourage them when they're done give them steps and guidance but failure is a reality but success is the goal understand the difference between two uh, start this week and we will see you next week Thank you.